Good morning, folks. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner right here on your source for cool jazz and more WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We take a look at Baltimore City this hour. We're going to take a look at everything from the controversy that arose uh, around Ryan Dorsey's um, comments about white supremacy and the explosiveness of the response to him uh, by members of the city council and the mayor and others. Uh, we'll also kind of look at what's beyond those uh, the, those statements and what the substance of that with his new statement and statements from Baltimore Brace and others are about that. We'll look at that. Uh, we want to take a look at the the uh, the new policy being set in the city here in a pilot program with Baltimore City in a certain area where they're saying instead of arresting uh, people for prostitution uh, and for certain drug-related crimes, that people then will be... Uh, uh, help to places that can help them through the crisis that they're facing. Uh, is there depth to that project? What does it mean to be in the in the um, in the area that it is in, which is an interesting boundary, which we'll talk about. Uh, we'll get to that a bit, and also the fifteen dollar hour minimum wage uh, that was introduced to the city council. Most likely go to vote and win this March, uh, and we don't know whether the mayor would sign it or not. She's already indicated she doesn't agree with the city doing it alone. So we'll look at that and more with your help at 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talk at steinershow.org. Uh, by email, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, you can also log on to our Facebook pages, 410-319-8888. We're here with Carl Stokes, former city councilman. Founder and president, is that right? Yes. Yes, of the Banneker Blake School, <clears throat> which is a uh, new uh, middle school in town for boys. And full disclosure, I am on the board of that school, which is not why Carla's in this house, <laughs> but that, that I just want to put that out there. Joshua Harris is here, 2016 Green Party candidate for mayor, founder of Holland's Creative Placemaking. Good to have you back in the house, Joshua. Thank you. Amy Pohl is here, member of BRACE, Baltimore Redevelopment Action Coalition for Empowerment, member of the Maryland Workings Families Party, uh, and used to be my producer many, many moons ago <laughs> in another life, but that's not why she's here either. Again, for full disclosure, good to have you in the studio, Amy. Thank and, you. And uh, you can all join us here at 410-319-8888. See, one of the problems with being in the city for so long, yes. I have to make these disclosures <laughs> on every right. show. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're involved with everybody and everything, <laughs> or have yeah. been. Right? I have to That's kind of put thing. it out there. Yeah, good yeah. thing. Uh, so 410-319-8888 is the number here. Please do join us. Um, and uh, right now, the guys across the glass, you're going to have to let me know who's calling because the screen's not working, so I can't see who's calling. So... Uh, you have to let me know. Just put it here on the chat, and I'll know who's on the line of 410-319-8888. Okay. So Ryan Dorsey comes out with this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some off-the-cuff comments. Off-the-cuff comments. But, you know, when you're in public office, there's no such thing mm-hmm. as an off-the-cuff comment. Mm-hmm. You make a comment, and right. you said it. Right. And, and he actually— uh, Go ahead. He actually posted it. So it wasn't just like— I'm standing around and somebody asks me a question, I respond. He actually, he thought about it. He posted it. He knew what he was saying. And then he expanded on it in the Baltimore Sun. Right. And I thought he did a great job of expanding on it in the article that I read in the Sun. Right. Uh, the reaction to Ryan's comment is asinine. That's my opinion. The reaction was asinine? The reaction from others oh, okay. to Ryan's. Right. And so... I just pissed off a bunch of friends of mine because they were some of the people who made these asinine statements. And it, it's not about Ryan. It's not about Kevin Plank. It is really about what Ryan said is happening in the city and in so many other places. And what he said about the project, about not only resegregating the city, not that it's not 
very segregated. Yes, it is. But this was, is going to be built until we got a little bit of a door cracked open, just a little bit. It was going to be built only for a certain economic class of folk who would be white, upper middle income, not even working class white folk. This is absolutely, and we're giving them a billion dollars of taxpayer money. And most of the taxpayers in this city happen to be middle and less income African Americans in this city. And they would not be participating in this project. And I guess the comment that got people shocked was when he said that, you know, he's often shocked that when white supremacy meets white supremacy, meaning Kevin Plank meets uh, Donald Trump. I, right? I, you know, I think, I think we talk a lot about hi we talk a lot about white supremacy and and in our minds it's people burning crosses and it's certainly that but what white supremacy looks like in Baltimore City today is segregation and completely different life outcomes for people depending on their zip code Mm -hmm. and the color of their skin and any policy and any building that spends three times more on a peer for wealthy people than it does on an entire capital budget for parks and recreation Mm -hmm. is a continuation of white supremacy. Additionally, I'm sorry, Bannon is a white supremacist. A white supremacist is in the White House. Bannon, Bannon. Bannon, Bannon. yes. Plank. He just came, I didn't want to show you, but got Bannon. Right, 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 (laughs) Bannon, Bannon. Plank, everyone says, nice, nice guy. Okay, fine, nice guy. You go in there, you're collaborating with an administration that has brought online white supremacists. I'm sorry, yeah, you were supporting like, it. But, but, but let me come in here, Josh. Let me just say a little back up to that. I mean, pushback maybe a little. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, as other people in, and I don't want to get stuck in this right now, but if you're at that, that people uh, like Bernie Sanders and others have said that, look, if that idiot, if that man in the White House uh, does something that is positive, then we have to say we support it. If he came out for single payer, okay, sure, we're going to back single payer. But if he's saying to Kevin Plank, you keep your jobs here in Baltimore for Baltimore workers to have a job, then that something, how can, how can you avoid that? Why would that make him part of white supremacy if he's saying, I'm going to try to build a factory, whether you agree with Kevin Plank's other stuff or not, and keep this and keep uh, workers in Baltimore? Well, I think we have to. Uh, Bernie Sanders, first of all, said that before the recent two weeks of absolutely <laughs> atrocious policies have come out. So I think people are quickly switching to see whether they can or cannot work with this administration and what it means to work with this administration. Um, uh, again, um, to bring it back to the policies in Baltimore, yes. okay, does what Port Covington, does the Port Covington deal? Fight segregation or increase segregation? And it is very clear that it increases segregation. It The, the tiniest bits of um, support for lower income families that we got, we got because we pushed and we pushed and we pushed, not because Kevin Blank gave them to us out of the goodness of his heart, however good his heart might be. And um, I think it's also important to say that it's important for white folks like Ryan Dorsey, like myself, to begin naming this and calling it out. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's several different factors here at work, and one we have to understand the difference between ist and see. 
supremacists versus supremacy. And understand that this wasn't a direct comment towards Kevin Plank, but more so systematic structures that perpetuate white supremacy. Uh, so I have no doubt that Kevin Plank is, an, uh, is a nice guy uh, and has good intentions, but what do the systems uh, and the development models in which he's embraced what do they perpetuate in the city? And so that's more so what Councilman Dorsey was addressing. And so we have to be very um, aware in the distinction between supremacist and supremacy uh, and, and when we evaluate his comments. Um, secondly, I think it's it's really, uh, as Amy brought up the point, it's really important to understand um, that what the little bit that was given in the Port Covington decision wasn't just we want to work with the city, that this is great. That had to be fought for, and it's still just a fraction of what could really create substantive change. And then, furthermore, knowing that the greatest need in Baltimore City is for low-income communities of color to have access to job hubs via transportation and transit. Right now, there's going to be public transit built into Port Covington, but it won't touch any of those low-income communities that actually need access to the jobs that would be created. And so I think that this, what, what Councilman Dorsey has done is presented an opportunity for Baltimore leadership and for Baltimore to show that we are growing and we really want to address the issues that have confronted our city for 50 <clears throat> and 60 years, for decades. And so we want to see how we can make sure that these things, uh, that this opportunity is capitalized upon in, a prop, uh, in an appropriate way um, to make sure that what we're doing really works for all of the city and not just the wealthy who can afford it. So... Let me, uh, so let me let me. So I mean, all right. So the city, from all my years living here, which is most of my life, except for a few years, a bunch of years when I was away. Um, so what countries were those? Because I don't think you can get back into. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them I probably could not. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but but the the I mean Baltimore from its in its development history from developing the Inner Harbor on has always not cared about poor people in, in the city, mm. ever. Mm -hmm. True. Right? That's absolutely correct. That's not been part of the development process. Nope. Before, during, and after the city became majority African-American. That's right. It's always been that way. Absolutely. So we. So, so the question is, so, so, I'm not, so to get away from what Ryan said at the top, so the question is, what do you do about all that? I mean, when... And I think I think Ryan's comments were important because they set off a gigantic discussion, which I think were really good. I, mean, I think that uh, calling certain people white supremacists doesn't get us very right. far. It doesn't. Um, uh, but um, the reality is that we had when when Port Covington first hit, and the discussions began to take place, our program and a couple of the places began to really push the idea in media that, wait, something's wrong here. Right. You ended up having council hearings. Yes, we did. On the heels of kind of thing, a lot of us pushing out here about, right. we got to do something with that uh, when you chaired that committee in the city council. Mm -hmm. But it is so, and it, we got to a point, but it didn't, it, they were not locked into having to build housing that mm -hmm. poor people could afford or right. middle class people could afford or that would reach the medium income of black middle class families in mm -hmm. Baltimore or more. And transportation issues weren't taking place, nor were they forced to hire people in the city to give them jobs and training to build the buildings and everything else that took place. So, 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 so you know, so, so, so we weren't able to do that right. at that moment. So what's different now? Well, and I just wanted to add that uh, though some <clears throat> seem to be quibbling with this, we still have no actual guarantee that Baltimore City Schools will be held blameless for mm -hmm. the drop in property taxes. We yeah. have this promise of a short-term fix. Right. And... and promise of a long-term fix and promises are not worth a lot until they're 
in writing. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and we're seeing 1,200 teachers about to be laid off. At least $50 million lost to Baltimore City Schools because of these TIFFs. And what Ryan Dorsey is bringing up, and I think I think it also would help if um, he expands on his short statements on his website in Principles Before Personalities and really talks about it, if you want a clearer sense. I think he was using a lot of shorthand that um, maybe not everyone understood. Um, but what Costello and Pugh and Jack Young should be outraged about is not that Ryan Dorsey was mean to Kevin Plank. Mm. Okay? They should be outraged about the fact that children in these neighborhoods are still being lead poisoned mm-hmm. at higher levels than in Flint, mm-hmm. that we don't have a promise for Baltimore City Schools, that 1,200 teachers are being laid off, that this, that the p- police budget is almost twice the amount of the school's budget. Okay? Mm. I would like to see some outrage from them over that. Let's well, talk know, we about the get, issues. We can't get uh, we can't get upset uh, when people. Uh, we have to get upset when we attack people with money in the city. You know, that, yeah. that's just the yeah, way. Politicians love wealthy people. <laughs> they love rich people. They love to go to the rich people and see their boats. They love to hopefully get invited <laughs> to come near their residence. Uh, they die over tickets to go out to. Well, I won't get too yeah. far down that line, but you know what I'm saying exactly. It, and politicians love rich people. And for, I, for no good reason. And I'd like to just uh, say that I went out on the record in support of Ryan Dorsey because he basically, by making these comments, has essentially put his political career in jeopardy mm-hmm. uh, for all intents and purposes by uh, yep. making a comment about someone who has money and is very wealthy and influential, uh, as we see in the response to those who are also influential. Uh, and But not only did he do that, but we ta- have conversations about white privilege and what it looks like. Uh, and Ryan Dorsey basically put his white privilege on the line to become an ally and an advocate for an issue that is often um, swept under the rug uh, or as people of color when we have these conversations we can come across as angry because sometimes we are right um, <laughs> um, but you, you it, it's uh, he he used his ability of influence and his position to really bring to the forefront a conversation that was not being had had in a way that it should be. And, you know, he's people of color have been saying this for a long time in this city. This mm-hmm. is not new. And and uh, we have to give credit to the fact that it's suddenly an outrage. Sure. It's publicly said. Um, but I just want to say that, yes, what we've seen is coverage of politicians responding in this negative way. But just in uh, 48 hours, um, our group ha- uh, put together a letter in support of Ryan Dorsey, written by Dr. Lawrence Brown, and uh, we already have over 200 signatures <coughs> for people in his district, people around the city. We're getting more every day. People are standing up for him, and it, we have to stand up for him now, or he's going to be sidelined. I, I, you know, he's not the same person as, for example, Jill Carter. But let's look at what happened to Jill Carter. Mm-hmm. She got pushed out for saying things that people didn't want to hear. And we're not going to let that happen again. Great. And I will say this. Ryan made one small political mistake um, that I've been guilty over hundreds of times. So have you, sir, Josh. But I think he should have used the word white privilege as opposed to white supremacy. White supremacy is an explosive word. And people go beyond exactly what you're trying to say. It's a trigger word. Yeah. And if he had said white privilege and talked about that, and, and Nicole, you just said greatly, 
um, that he put his white privilege on the line. Uh, you said that, Josh. Sorry. Yes, you look alike. But <laughs> <laughs> my jokes are not funny. That's I know. quite a compliment. So, <laughs> but, um, so he did do that, and, and that's carriage. So let me ask folks, what do you think about both Ryan Dorsey's statement, what this has set off in the city politically at 410-319-8888, um, and where you think we need to take this. I mean, the, the deal with Park Covington is done, but the future is still in our hands, so what should be done? 410-319-8888. You can email us at talk at Uh You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, but 410-319-8888. Because I think that, you know, I mean, it, the, the this is... <sighs> can I... Can I... Can I add, too, I, I don't think that this was just off the cuff, him making this post. This had to be something that was going on in the background, a conversation that was going on by the way that he made the post. Uh, and the reactions that were he was getting was probably showed a lack of understanding of the problems that exist in the city. And so I think that he felt the need to elevate this to a public discourse as well. I don't think that it was just, I'm going to make this post about Port Covington and Kevin Plank and what's happening in the city. I think that there was something that we may not be privy to that was happening that caused him to make this post. And now we see, uh, as it's come to public light, uh, that there are several people in leadership who do not understand or get the problems that exist here in Baltimore City. And I kind of think they get it, but... But they are afraid to have been uh, the cover to be mm. blown. I think he blew cover. I think the light came, and I think people start scaring uh, when they were uncovered. Mm. Well, I think. Well, let me just read these two tweets. What I said, Melissa said, what I said the other day. Uh, PC directly benefits the easy zoning with poor POC. Political correctness. Yes, no, I doubt that, and many of those many of those folks will benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it doesn't do good. It doesn't do a good job protecting our majority eighty-two thousand public school kids. That's damaging future generations. Um, and I, so, um, let me go to the phones here: four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. And let's go to Dwayne. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, I was calling in to say, you know, um, you know, I, I think the 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 comment made uh, was was explosive using white supremacy. You know, but I think you got to be careful when we're when we you know um, when we talk about Baltimore City, we're talking about getting big projects done, you know, um, and we and we use words that more or less are alienating the wealthy. You know, though, though, yes, white privilege exists, but and and yes, you know, um, you know, segregation happens as a result. Uh, of capitalism, more or less. Capitalism causes more segregation than anything. You know, I mean, you know, we all try to move to better neighborhoods and we all try to, you know, increase our, our, our station of life, uh, more or less. But without those wealthy people who are, yes, causing that segregation and all of that, none of these projects will be done. None of the, all the construction cranes that we see running around Baltimore City, they wouldn't be there, you know, if wealthy people weren't investing. And yes, the city should take a leadership role and make sure that they're giving huge tax breaks, which is our money, that, that some of that, that money gets, you know, channeled over into the neighborhoods for support of the city. But we can't alienate the rich because if we do, we have no building in Baltimore City. Right. I think that that's a, that's a very strong point. I mean, I, I'm looking at Melissa's tweet. I'm sorry, Melissa. What PC meant Paul Covington benefits from the kind of uh, enterprise zoning, which got them their money, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think that's, that's right. I mean, so let's say, stop for a second before we go to the next caller. I mean, you're living in Baltimore City or any other jurisdiction in America. 
This is, we're living in the midst of a capitalist nation where money comes from the wealthy that builds stuff in a community. I mean, that's reality where we live. Um, so we can fight against capitalism. That's what people think we should do is fight against capitalism. But B, and B, and or but B, um, the reality is that when you have groups like Kevin Plank or any other want to build, the problem is we can't seem to push those with money and power who want to build to build in the interest of the entire city. I mean, that seems to be seems part of the problem. And how do you do that? How do you make that happen? Yeah. No, I, you're about to say yes to something, and Amy shaking her head no. So let's see what you all mean. Then we'll go right back to the phones. Oh, definitely. And I, I want to respond to the caller. I mean, the, uh, he's right that these projects wouldn't happen. But I live in West Baltimore, and when I walk through my neighborhood and I talk to the kids and I talk to my neighbors, they don't even know that downtown exists for the most part because they can't afford to shop there, they can't afford to eat there, they can't afford to play there, and the rec center in their neighborhood isn't open or they can't drink the water at their school. So whether or not these projects that we speak of um, exist, it doesn't matter to the vast majority of Baltimoreans because they are struggling to live day to day. Uh, so while it's great and some of us can benefit and go downtown and, and see the Inner Harbor and take a boat ride, the vast majority of our citizens cannot. And they have buildings that have been crumbling and falling down in their neighborhoods for decades now. Uh, and so uh, I think that he's absolutely right. Some of these major projects wouldn't exist. But how do they benefit the majority of the city, particularly when they built on the finances of the citizens that are paying into the tax system? Uh, and so that's a greater conversation. when We talk about welfare and what that looks like. Well, what does corporate welfare look like? Uh, and how many tax breaks are we going to give to major corporations simply because we're in fear that if they leave, that we won't have anything left. So before we get there, I'm not calling here before break. Okay. AMA. So I'm not going to go into um, how capitalism depends upon racism. I think that that's a whole other discussion. Okay. However, um, if we're talking about money, if wealthy people and corporations paid taxes mm. that are appropriate to the incomes that they gain from working people, this city could spend money on construction and infrastructure. Secondly, Governments make our city government and state government has made decisions such as Graziano dropping the inclusionary zoning law, such as not pushing new projects to have actual low income housing. That those are decisions that the government has made, our officials have made about what how far they're going to accept what a wealthy corporation wants to do in terms of what we give and what we get. And those are decisions that can be changed. Those are decisions that new politicians can change. And, and I mean, this isn't just about money. This is about policy. So let me get a call in here before we go to break. And let's go to Joshua. You're on the air. Then we're going to go to break. Uh, good morning, y'all. How y'all doing? Very well. Good morning, Joshua. Yeah, I was hearing about the teachers getting laid off and and, and all that, but I was wondering, why did the, the casinos come to Baltimore and all that? We're not even going to get the money for that, you know? I was just curious about that. I'll just listen to your comments after that. Joshua, it's a, it's a good question. We talked about this a lot yesterday, and it happened last week, but we can do it again. Because, uh, um, I mean, the, the reality is that when, those, when that casino bill was passed in Annapolis, there was never a hardcore position, a, 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 a hardcore commitment in that bill that said the money had to go to education A, and B, the money that did go to education was to shore up the commitment the state had to meet not to add more money to education, but the advertising that pushed 
people to vote yes on casinos gave you the impression that if you voted yes on casinos, it meant more money for our schools. So therein you know, is the issue. And I think many newspapers um, wrote the reality, but most people don't read the newspapers to get – and, and that knowledge, even though it was out there, was not common knowledge. And people thought that. Casino money meant education money when it never did. Mm-hmm. Never did. So, and so that is the problem we're facing now, which is if it did mean that, there wouldn't be a deficit in city schools and there may be more money for schools in poor communities in Wicomico County and Garrett County as well. But it And that's well, why we can't trust a promise that we're going to fix the situation for property taxes on Port Covington. And because the casino, of course, hasn't met projected revenues, as they say, which means that Port well, they, Covington may never meet projected revenues. Well, they actually have gone beyond their revenues. They've made a lot of money. They've made, they made a, a lot, lot of money. money. There's no doubt about so that. So let's, let's take a short break. We're going to come right back to the phones and our guests, 410-319-8888. We're going to tackle this new policing initiative. What does that mean and look like? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks, here to the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We welcome you all back to this conversation and remind you the Mark Steiner Show, like conversations like this, are brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at W www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We are here with Amy Pohl, member of the Baltimore Redevelopment Action Coalition for Empowerment, BRACE, which you can find on Facebook, and as a member of the Maryland Working Families. Joshua Harris is 2016 Green Party candidate for mayor, founder of Holland's Creative Placemaking. Carl Stokes is former city councilman for the 12th District and founder of the Banneker Blake School, and you all at 410-319-8888. Uh, and you can also tweet us at Mark Steiner, which Ian Power did, and Ian wrote in, uh, "God, the at Mark Steiner show is at the Mark Steiner show is great." <laughs> Talking about Dorsey and Plank in a thorough, honest way that represents the unheard in the city. Thank you for that, Ian. Uh, you can also email us at talk at steinershow dot org for four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. And Dave, we're going to get you a call next, but just hold on one second. I want to raise another issue. I'm going to go to our caller, Dave, at four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. And here's the issue. So, so we've seen this new initiative um, in the city of Baltimore, um, and um, this new initiative uh, has to do with police and arrests, and that police will not be arresting people in terms of the public announcement, uh, that for certain drug offenses and for prostitution, instead they'll be taken to places where they can uh, get help, housing, and what they need at the moment. And it's unclear just how deep it is. They're saying it maybe it's at 60 people in what period of time. We're not sure. But just where that's taking place. And the boundaries of the pilot program are interesting boundaries. The boundaries are um, uh, Franklin, Pratt, St. Paul, hmm. uh, and what was the other one? Martin Luther King or no? no MLK. So, so, so the, the, that's the boundary zone, which is the west side. But it's also kind of cornering on the theater district. Mm-hmm. Of the West Side, so that that's where it is, and most of it's being funded by 
uh, foundations like ABLE and the, the uh, uh, Open Society Institute and others are doing the majority of the funding mm-hmm. for this pilot project. And so I think that I'm glad they're putting their money up to do something that Absolutely. could maybe make a difference in our city. Mm-hmm. And I think, though, that what the city chose as an area is interesting because it is by the theater district in Lexington Market which I think right. has something to do with why that was chosen, let's say, over Sandtown, Winchester, mm-hmm. uh, which has a deeper problem yes. uh, in this regard. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but we can, let's talk about that. But I think, it's, I think, A, it's a good direction. Sure. But what do we think it means, and why do we think we're starting here? And, 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 and you know, again, you have, we have to go to private foundations to get the money rather from the city to start a much larger program out of, out of public money. So our thoughts. Well, I, I think it's a good direction, as you said. I don't see any mention, though, of jobs in this at all. And I think economics is still a big deal around these issues of uh, prostitution and, um, and drugs. I, I, I know it's a very complicated. Drug addiction is a horrible disease uh, that grabs people and holds them and really doesn't let them go. Uh, it's so complicated, I, I can't speak to it uh, intelligently beyond uh, you know, what I'm just saying right now. But I think it's a great direction in which to go. Uh, I don't, I, I'm very curious of what's going to happen. I'd like to see what happened in Seattle after the fact. I'd like to see right. uh, the results from the other cities, uh, just what they had to do next. Right, and I think that that would be something that would be an interesting program for us to do, which is to talk to people in, other, in these other cities to see just what happened in those cities and what the response I and mean, what, what what came out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said, the, it includes Lexington Market, which people say is an open-air drug market, but it's also an area where if you talk to policemen, at least I have a couple officers, I can't see a ton of officers, two officers, who I had a conversation with who said, yeah, well, we it's not a written rule, but we're, we're told to keep the, these people away from Utah Street, mm-hmm. away from the lower ends of Utah Street to keep right. them away from the theater district. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, that... so. That's all in this mix as well, but I think yes, it is a course. critical program. So what are our thoughts, M.A.? Um, so, you know, baby steps. But at this point, I think that um, this, is just, just, this is just too small. This is just too small. We are at a point of crisis. Um, if the mayor and the commissioner would simple, simply issue an order that all low-level suspected lawbreakers are to be taken to 24-7 support centers for treatment, for housing, uh, rather than to central booking, it would improve the relationship between individuals and the police, help compliance with the consent decree, and stop staining vulnerable people with arrest records, which keep them unemployable, and help solve bail reform issue because half of the low-level bail population would no longer be subject to bail. So how, does that, how would something like that happen? Well, first of all, let's look at the coffers of the city police. Mm-hmm. And let's think about how much money it costs to arrest. It's about 50 to 70 percent, it looks like, from what I can tell, of arrests daily are these low-level um, mm-hmm. crimes. crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, it, and it's a public health issue, obviously. Um, this proposal, this pilot, as I said, nice little step in the right direction, but they say they can serve about 60 people at a time. We have 60 arrests per day. Do we, do we know I don't even t- know what that means. I have a lot of questions. We have an average of 60 arrests per day. Mm-hmm. If they can serve 60 people at a time, what percentage of arrests are we really looking at? What do we do about the issue that you're going to get completely different treatment mm-hmm. just because of what part of the city you're in? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, you know, I, I want to say this is great, but I'm going to push back and say this has to be citywide. Right. And if you, but let me say this. Let me give you a little pushback from neighborhoods, from where people live. First of all, do we arrest people now for being addicted to drugs or for committing crimes? And if you're talking about folk who are committing, I don't know, larceny or auto thefts or, or, or burglary or, or assault in, in communities and you don't take them off the street, people are going to be not happy. They're not going to be happy. If, you, if they keep seeing the people on their streets in their neighborhoods who are aggravating them with crime, not because they're sick, not because they're addicted, neighbors are going to say, what is this? What is this? I call every day about some guy or gal or three or four who are doing stuff every day. And you're telling me you feel sorry for them and you're going to give them treatment, but you're not going to solve the crime problem. Well, if, if they actually get treatment, if they get housing services, if they get those things, then they won't be back to committing the same crimes over and over again. I'm with you 100 percent. I'm just giving you. Yeah, I'm, there's going to be political well, push. What would, be, what would the difference be? I'll go to Josh and we'll go to the phones and Dave. We're going to come right to your call here. But what would be the difference that say, and it popped in my head even though she's not in the program today, if the if the money was given to let's say to expand power inside in Jackie Robarge's work mm-hmm. in communities mm-hmm. to deal with prostitution head on every day, right? Hiring women who were former uh, women of the streets, former prostitutes, who now are clean and pulling their lives together as street clinical workers, for want of a better term, that are on, in the community getting women off the streets rather than having them arrested and helping people it means housing, jobs, and more for those women in those communities who are facing a lot. Many of them have children. Many of them are trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Many of them are addicted to heroin or alcohol or some other or, or, or something else. So those things are, are real. Um, and so I think it needs a really radical strategy if we're going to be serious about helping people survive and grow in this city. Absolutely. Uh, and we know that these are issues of public health. Um, no matter way, no, no matter what way we try to swing it, these are issues of public health and should be addressed as such. Uh, and two, this goes back to the greater point of I think it is a step in the right direction. And I think there's a great opportunity and room for improvement there. Um, however, this goes back to the point that there are programs out there that have been statistically proven to be more effective in minimizing quality of life and nuisance crimes, and even violent crimes. Whether you talk about safe streets, which we have to fight for to get budget and funding for because uh, it's not included in the police budget, as it should be. Um, um, or whether you talk about other works and programs um, that help with um, sex trafficking and sex workers, um, there are programs out there that should be funded and financed to do just this. Um, because we know that it's more expensive and it costs the city more to lock folks up than it does to get them treatment. Uh, and so we need to invest our money in being more proactive rather than reactive. So again, this is a step in the right direction, but I'm with AMA as we have to, um, I think we're beyond let's pilot in a little section. We know um, where these issues are, and we should really concentrate our resources on programs that have already been proven to do just what they're attempting to do here. Right. I have a question for you around this, Carl, but let me go to the phones first. Okay. 410-319-8888. Sure. Uh, and let's go to Dave. You're on the air. Welcome. Mark, can you Morning. hear me? Yes, we can, Dave. You're on the air. Welcome. Okay. Uh, I would want to raise a couple points regarding Ryan Dorsey's explanation of his statement, and I thought that what he said about we, the lack of money for education being tied to this giant uh, gift that we're giving to Port Covington. That was one point he raised. And also, uh, his point about the, um, 
in affordable housing, uh, which he raised in the letter, and that being a real reality in this Port Covington, is it really being addressed? I think he questioned that. Uh, regarding the the points you're just raising up, I think jobs, we need jobs, whether it's urban gardens or whatever, we need jobs in the city. And finally, uh, the gambling aspect. I get upset when I see the lottery uh, broadcasts on WBAL being produced in Florida. But why can't we produce advertisements for the lottery here in Baltimore? <laughs> we used to. We Thank used you. to. Many, many moons ago in the 1980s when I actually worked for an advertising firm for three years, that was my job. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Radio commercials. Um, so, uh, the, the... How do you think... What, what? Well, I'm just wondering if we have any idea about who chose the boundaries for this pilot project. My guess it would be the city and the police. I don't know. I don't. That, but that would be my guess. I think it is very interesting that... Uh, the boundaries are in the theater district, mm-hmm. in the theater district. And so the fact that we're going to say we're not going to lock people up. It's Lexington Market is what we're focusing on. Yes, right? it's Lexington right. Market. Uh, so it's very interesting uh, and I think um, uh, a good thing that we're, that we're choosing to say, okay, we don't care that they may end up bothering the wealthy people because we're not locking them up, but we're going to try to treat them and right. meet them where they're at. Uh, the question is, are we going to be able to provide wraparound services, and do we have programs in place to do just that, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that people are getting the, the different uh, needs that they may have? And it also, uh, are our officers now on um, stations? Are, are they in the community, so do they get to know the folks who are in there regularly? Because it's about establishing relationships with them. In my neighborhood, it took quite some time for me to establish a relationship with uh, the guys on my block. <laughs> and now there's a point to where they trust me and they come to me saying, hey, I want to get a job. I want to get off the streets. Can you help me? And that took time to do that because they had to know who I was. Right. They had to right. know that I wasn't just some person from the outside parachuting in, but they had to trust me. And now we're at that point. Uh, and so that also has to come. And so are we working to establish those relationships to where they get I mean, to know folks? Yes. If, if the police are going to be effective, let's say on a place like Lexington Market, just as an example, since it's sure. where they're focusing. You know, whenever I drive past her, I drive past her a lot. Right. Um, and I go, walk through there a lot. So, I mean, it's not like it's – and, and so, A, it's clear that a lot of the masses of hundreds, maybe sometimes thousands of people hanging out in the street, have nowhere to go, nothing to do. True. Not, no jobs. Some could be addicted, some not, whatever. There's a lot of street activity sure. going on. Well, if the cop, every time I see the police, they're in their cars, unless they have their blue lights on and they're stopping somebody. Absolutely. Well, supposing that part of the program was to get out of the car. Right. To walk around, talk to people, sit with them, see what's happening. I mean, that... That, <laughs> that know, is a difference just, maker, right. That, that changes the nature of policing. But one of the things I want to ask you, Carl, is why is it so difficult mm-hmm. in the halls of power to make the changes we're talking about? Why is it so hard to say we want to change the way we spend money in the city that we don't want to spend it all on the police? We want to put more money into schools or community programs and, and, or, or to, to enforce uh, a, a Port Covington to really uh, create a project that includes poor people, people of color, change the nature of what, what, what the things are. Why is it so hard to get that done inside of City Hall? One is laziness, truthfully. And the other is people want to keep their jobs, and controversy uh, could blow up in their face. And you might not think it's controversial to say, instead of spending uh, 
uh, $500 million in police <coughs> and $100 million in school, you might not think that's controversial to say, but it is. And people just fear uh, that sort of thing in, 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 uh, in light of the fact that it may cost them their jobs. And I think that part of it, too, is a lack of ability to see long term. Uh, and I think that that lack of ability to see long term comes from the constraints of being worried about reelection. I have to get something done to make sure that I can stay elected. In most cases, the quickest route to do that is to work for the people who can provide the greatest campaign contribution to your campaign so that you can pay folks to go out and work for you. Uh, and so I think that that perpetuates um, a leaning in the direction of what's easiest to do rather than a long-term vision and sustainability uh, and what's best for all. Uh, I mean, it's no different than a kid not being able to see beyond um, middle school that they're in right now uh, because this is their daily living. This is what they have to deal with. And so being able to see that long term of how can we be proactive versus reactive? How can we make sure that we invest in healthy children, building them so we're not fixing broken people later on? Uh, and, and the benefits of that uh, in its totality. And so we have to have greater vision, for long term vision, uh, for when we begin to do projects and where we put our money at uh, as city elected officials. What about the, the fact, what about, about the lack, A, of lack of concern for, or the lack of political power of, and by the people that we keep talking about. And when I say we keep talking about, I mean poor people, poor black people, poor working class black people in Baltimore City that don't really have a voice at the table, don't really have representatives that are their voice at the table often. There's no political power there, and I think that it's also people are in the way. And so let's get them out of the way. The other part of the part of the equation is something I think Carl touched on, Amy, which is that in a lot of poor working class communities, Older people, mm -hmm. older working people, are terrified of their own neighborhoods mm -hmm. and want something done. And there's a contradiction here mm -hmm. about how to proceed. It's easier to proceed by locking everybody up right. than anything else. But, I mean, those contradictions exist. So, I mean, we have to, I think, recognize that. Absolutely. And um, I'm just going to quickly promote a working families program that we're um, – Maryland Working Families program – call uh, the pipeline program where we're going to be going out and trying to find people who live in those communities, who come from those communities, who can be supported in running for office because the change has to come from the people in those communities speaking up for what they need and what they want. Um, uh, so that's that's one thing. I, I, I think that the contradiction is important to un unpack. I think... Um, one of the issues that we have trouble seeing is is the connection between mass incarceration and many of the other um, issues that are facing people in those communities. You know, when you're breaking up families, when people lose jobs, um, that that impacts the whole community. That impacts social spending. Um, but I, I mean. I, I'm I'm not speaking for those people. I'm not trying to speak for those people. That's why I, those people, um, um, as I said, um, there need to be some more support for having their voices heard. I, I'm not exactly well, sure how to do that. Well, not only having their voices heard, but um, there comes a point to where we preach voter registration, voter registration, voter registration, but there's no voter education that comes along with it for folks to really understand the process. Uh, and because, uh, I mean, even simple, when I started to run my campaign, there were so many people who didn't care about politics in my neighborhood who were like, you're running? I want to help. How do I understand? And they asked so many questions. Well, how does this work? How does it work? And having that basic understanding of how it 
it works helps people to feel like they can be involved and be a be a part of the process, which is where something that uh, that could be extremely beneficial in that something like participatory budgeting, um, which I believe they're still attempting to pilot um, with the youth initiatives, where folks feel like their voice is heard and feel like they have a say in what happens in their city, makes them to feel a part <coughs> of the process and encourages them to remain a part of the process. Uh, and that only comes through giving folks access to have their voices heard and understand comprehensively what's happening and how it works. And so there's real need for um, voter education and just more outreach. Uh, and I totally understand for someone who's running for office, it's difficult to educate voters and to try to get elected. Um, so there's groups out there that are doing that work. Um, whether you talk about Communities United, um, several other organizations <laughs> that are, are doing that work to try to reach folks, but they're really confined to neighborhoods because you have to work on the neighborhood by neighborhood basis um, to really reach people. And so that's something um, that has to continue to happen. And uh, I used to work for black and brown people vote. And this is a major issue, even with voters who are so-called educated, who uh, participate in the process. They still don't fully understand what's happening or how it works, which is why there's so many people who were shocked. What's the Electoral College? What just happened presidentially? <laughs> I've been voting my whole life and I don't know what just happened. Uh, and so it really is a component of voter education. It has to continue to take place um, as it pertains to city politics to let folks know that their voices matter and that if they want to change their neighborhood, that they can. 410-319-8888. Your thoughts on this? And you know, we have not really covered this hour because we, we're almost out of time, about eight, nine minutes left to go about our school system and the difficulties we have. And I think that going right back to the beginning of the program, <coughs> talking about Port Covington and um, the development of the city, which has raised the value of property in the city, which has lowered the about money coming into Baltimore, affecting the formula, um, that we are still seeing, what we're seeing here in the city is, is, is a cl close to disaster. You said before we went in the air, mm -hmm. we talked about the Real News Network right. um, conversation with a teacher who was... Um, anonymous and who painted a fairly horrible picture of what happens in some of our city schools day Absolutely. to day right. and I think people don't have a real sense of how real that is no they don't have and a you're sense in a school of every day I am in school every day and, and Amy's involved in our schools all the time Amazing, right absolutely but th this particular teacher who was uh, disguised uh, was speaking about the fact that in his school and he felt in many other schools he was a high school teacher apparently that uh, there are no consequences to teachers or students for very bad behavior, uh, whether that is uh, uh, falsifying grades or whether that is having uh, students curse and threaten teachers on a daily basis with no consequences, um, or just allowing kids to pass through. As he said, that 97% per, of the seniors in his school are reading not higher than a fourth grade level. Um, I, I have a sixth grade, a seventh grade, and I can tell you that most of the youth who come to our school uh, who have been graduated from elementary school are reading at second, third, fourth grade level, most by overwhelming number. Maybe we have 10 to 12 students in each the sixth and seventh grade who are at grade level. This is absolutely outrageous that that would be allowed to happen in our city schools. Now, I don't think the city schools have enough resources. That's part of the problem. That's a big part of the problem. When people say, well, how are you going to make up $150 million deficit? I said, give them $150 million. <laughs> 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 right? Right? Go, go, go over to police or go over to, uh, you know, wherever and give them the money. 
they're, 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 if you know what's going on in schools, yes, of course, that much money, there is some small piece of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, corruption, I guess is a term, or lack of accountability is a better term. Right, right, right. But for the most part, the money is being spent correctly, but it's not enough. It doesn't make a difference. There's, it, it, it just isn't enough. And, and when you just mentioned that, you know, the budget to build a pier uh, of city, for city money at Port Covington is three times the annual budget for rec and parks. Three times. And we're giving them the money to build the pier rather than take care of recreation programming and centers and parks. An amazing number. I, I mean, when I think about um, how all these things interconnect, um, it's it's really easy to um, to blame the schools, to blame the teachers, to blame North Avenue. Um, but uh, honestly, the problem is poverty. Um, the one thing right. that will correlate with You're your right. scores, no matter where you are in the country, is your income. Has there? Where is there an example? And maybe there are some examples, and we should follow them. But when, in, it, if you're not dealing with poverty, uh, uh, how is a school supposed to make up for that? Mm-hmm. How 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 is that possible? And secondly, we need to talk about the achievement gap between black students and white students, which is across the board sure. has barely narrowed in sixty years. Um, so these are these are. Big, big problems that we're funneling down and um, asking individual teachers and principals to take care of with very little support. Right. Very uh, little support. I'd like to talk about this big time on another show, but we can talk about the issue of poverty because yeah. most everybody in my neighborhood was impoverished, and yet we all were educated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that with education, there's a couple of different factors with this deficit. One, I think that uh, it's not talked about that part of it, 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 as far as my understanding, is to the big negotiation for um, pay for performance, the contract that was negotiated for teachers a few years ago. And it wasn't anticipated how many teachers would have students that were performing um, well. And so now those payments are kicking in a couple years later, which makes up to a substantial part of that deficit, which is a good thing because that means that we have students that are performing. Uh, But two, I think that there's also an opportunity when we look at budgets that when you go to some of the schools, we have lots of principals who are managing officially million dollar budgets and they've never dealt with it. And so how do we make sure that they're Mm. appropriately trained on how to manage that size of a budget or that we put someone in there to supplement the principal who understands the management of money uh, in our public schools? Because that's something um, that I've personally seen in schools just in my neighborhood where there's been uh, a lack of understanding of how to deal with that amount of money uh, on the principal level because they're educators, not necessarily. Maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, I've railed against this for 24 years in the air. I mean, I think that that, that the idea that our schools should be managing money is BS. Mm-hmm. Why are they managing money? Right. Their job should be teaching students, not yeah. managing money. Managing right. money should happen at North Avenue, right. not inside the schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is crazy. It well, is. If you have a skeletal it, it, staff at North Avenue, yeah. how can you do that? Well, skeletal, that's, uh, you know, check around other systems and, and see how many people are in there. The, the right people are in the right places in many other systems, not all, but the right people are in the right places. I think that we are bloated, um, even with the skeletal. I, I, I don't, anyway, I just think the system, unfortunately, like other systems, uh, it's a closed system for so many people. People are 
you know, my uh, travel buddy gets to be head of head of just. I don't want to go long on this because <laughs> I can't remember how much time I get in trouble on it. But we're not hiring the right people for the right jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I I think that, that this is maybe begs another discussion just about our schools and, and where they should be going. And and I think that we talk about the difference between then and now and people living in poverty. Part of the reality is is that we we have to talk about what poverty means in the late 20th and early 21st That's century, true. which is different than the poverty you yeah. grew up in. It home. is. It is different. And it, and, and the isolation that people have in devastated neighborhoods. You You're right. You didn't grow up in a neighborhood that had abandoned houses. Nope. Empty people. Nope. Empty people. They You're didn't right. Exist, You're absolutely right. right. You're right. And absolutely. So, and people Before are afraid to war. talk about this because... It, people say, oh, you're pathologizing poor black people if you do this. No. Got to deal with the reality of what has happened to you're people's right. lives you're in the last right. 60 years in America mm-hmm. and deal with it. You're right. You're right? absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Poverty is different than it was when I was growing up. Much it's different. different. Right. right. Because I had a neighborhood that was much different than a poor neighborhood is today. When, and I hate to say things like when we were kids, but when I was a young kid and hanging out with our good friend Edwin Johnson on National Avenue in 1959, right. that poverty was not the same thing as what we're seeing today Absolutely. on National Avenue. Right. Mm-hmm. I lived in the projects. I really didn't know I was impoverished until I got to be about 60 years old. <laughs> right. Now you know you have no money. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to thank that. <laughs> Carl Stokes, founder of Vanderbilt Blake School. Always good to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be with Joshua you, Joshua Howard, founder of Holland's Creative Placemaking, and most recently a Green Party candidate for mayor. Good to have you in the house. Thank you so much. Amy Paul, member of the Baltimore Redevelopment Action Coalition for Empowerment. You can find that on Facebook, and member of Maryland Working Families. Good to have you here as well. Can I throw something out there really we quickly? We only have 10 seconds. Well, J- July 12th through the 16th, my fraternity brothers are coming to Baltimore, Maryland, and we want to do service projects. So anyone who has a project for us, email pr at apa1906.net. On that note, let's go to news. We'll be right back. <laughs> 